Will you pray with me this morning before we start? Lord, you are good and you are holy. And God, you give us so much more about you than just those things. But if that's all we know about you, we know enough to serve you and to honor you and to live for you. Lord, would you help us to trust in your goodness in our lives when things don't always go as we assume that they should, when they're not always going perfectly. Help us to trust in your goodness when they're going as we dreamed. God, help us to pursue your holiness, the act of or thought of being set apart, of being um, unlike uh, the, sin, the, the sinful nature that's in this world, Lord. God, it's why we study things like the Ten Commandments. It's why we study, Lord, the things that you've given us so that we can be more like you, so that we can love you, so that we can honor you, so that we can trust you, live for you. God, would you bless this sermon? Would you bless the words that, you're, that are preached because I believe they're your words and not mine? Would you allow people to draw closer to you through this day? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you're here for the first time today and you haven't met me yet, I'm Bryce Holbrook. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I do a lot of the preaching. Um, And I wanted to sort of just start by saying, you know, how we do things at at our church. I'm I'm highly convicted about uh, going through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse, verse by verse, of different books of the Bible. We don't go in any sort of chronological order or any other order, but we go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And you happen to come in today on Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 14. It's the seventh commandment. I'm highly convicted about teaching the full counsel of the Bible. Uh, the Bible itself claims um, that it is good for, is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God will be well equipped for every good work. I think preaching the Bible is important. Preaching the Bible the way we do allows us to not skirt uh, difficult topics, allows us to not move around them or to, or to, um, or to uh, teach them in sort of some um, secondary or tertiary way. We teach them in a way that honors God, I believe. Um, and I do believe there are other ways of preaching that also honor God, but I do believe this is the most effective way uh, to honor God. And so um, I cannot deny uh, my convictions. I cannot deny myself. And so that's how we do it. Uh, even when the verses might be a little awkward. And, and that's where we are today. Um, and I will tell you, um, uh, Mason guest and family, or all Mason family, we have had, every time we've had an awkward verse, there have been more guests than we've ever had. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happens. Every time we've had a difficult verse or an awkward verse. But I will tell you, Every time, and you don't have to do this today, don't feel obligated to do this, but every time that guest has come up to me and said, this is what I needed to hear today. It's no accident that we are where we are today, but uh, for, for everybody here, it's no accident. But also what I found is as we've gone chapter by chapter, verse by verse, God is sovereign and he gives us, just, he gives us all just what we need. I want to tell you that you cannot keep the Ten Commandments on your own. You cannot follow and obey them on your own power, on your own spirit. Um, Your inclinations are, in fact, to break the Ten Commandments. Because of the fall of mankind, because of sin entering in the world, your inclination is to break the Ten Commandments. And not just break them, but like really get them most of the time, especially on some of the good ones. 
Uh, and so we need the power of God through His Holy Spirit in order to keep the Ten Commandments. It's the only possible way. The fact, but you need to trust in this, that if you are in Christ, that He has held you, He is holding you, and He will, like the song says, He will hold you fast. And it is, this is vastly important as it comes to keeping the Ten Commandments, as it comes to being a good spouse, a good father or mother, a good son or daughter, as it comes to doing anything to the glory of Christ, it's vastly important that you know that you are in Christ. You are in Christ. And that is important because Christ is God. It's vastly important. It's vastly important. It's the only way we keep the commands of God. It's the only way we remain faithful to Him. Not by our work, not by our might, not by our power, not by our strength. And so you need to understand that before the, these, this commandment today, you need to understand it in this command today, and you need to understand in every command that you try to fill from this day forward. It is only through the power of Christ, in, his, uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that we keep these commands. Now last week it was... We did the sixth command of God, and it had been a long time since we had done the Ten Commandments because we stopped for Advent. So I want you to, I forgot to give you our hand signal. And I know that you may think these are corny or goofy, but I learned them this way ten plus years ago. I don't practice them, and when it came time to preach this sermon, I remembered them because of this thing. So the first one, no other gods before you. One, only one God. The second, like you're carving those little, uh, you know, the men that you carve one men and on um, folded pieces of paper and they come out like this. So whatever, what is it called? Okay, paper doll, sure. Uh, Drew, you know a little bit too much about that. But anyway, uh, so no graven images. No graven images like you're carving an image. The third is watch your words. Watch your words. No, do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. The fourth is people get in their four-door car with four wheels and they go to church gathering. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The fifth, honor your father and your mother. The sixth, don't kill, don't murder. <laughs> like you're stabbing somebody. Uh, the seventh, when two people are together and they're in love and they decide to go and join another person that's committing adultery. Okay, two people are together, they're in love. And they decide to leave and join another person that's committing adultery. That's the seventh command. So that's just a little goofy thing, if that helps you. It does me. As a matter of fact, I remember I do weird things like that all the time. I remember Bible verses by singing them more than I do writing them down or any other form of memorization. So if I sing a song or sing a Bible verse or if I was studying for an exam in college or seminary, if I sang it, I was destined to pass, destined to get an A. It's just the way my brain operates. But today we're going to be in the seventh command. It's a very important command. And even though some of the imagery I will use today will be somewhat graphic, it will be somewhat very specific, it is vastly important. And I want you to know that you need to weed through the little bit of awkwardness so that you can understand even for young, the, the command today for to not commit adultery is for young people, teenagers, it's for singles, it's for married people, and it's even for people whose uh, spouses have passed away. It really is a command that fits everybody, everyone in this congregation today. Today I want to look at several aspects of adultery to try to clean up some misunderstandings and, and give us some insight into being faithful spouses. 
I would say now more than ever that marriage is under attack. Truthfully, I, it started with the sexual revolution of the sea. I mean, it's been going on throughout history. It started at, the, at creation. But for the United States, it sort of intensified with the sexual revolution of the 60s. And Christians jumped right on board by being complicit in divorce, by not remaining chaste before their marriage or in their marriage, and also getting caught up in all sorts of lust and repulsive acts. But regardless of how people treat it, marriage is an honorable act. Proverbs 18.22 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. And if you live in a good marriage, you know this to be true more than ever. Marriage is a good thing. Hebrews 13.4, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Why is marriage honorable? Because marriage, one, is a real-life illustration of what Christ has done for the church. He is our bridegroom. He traveled like the brave knight countless miles to rescue his bride who was caught in peril and the tragedy of her sin. No rescue and no end in sight. Marriage is beautiful because it represents Christ and the church and his undying and unfailing, his forever commitment to those who are in Christ. Marriage should also be honored because it is the first covenant made between God and man. Genesis 2, 22 through 24 says this, Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that's literally what woman means. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. In Matthew, Jesus gave us commentary on this verse. Matthew 19, 4. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? So they no longer Excuse me. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Marriage is a foundational commitment, and it should be honored by all because of that. It was one of the first covenants, the first covenant God made between creation, He and creation. It's not good for man to be alone. And He made him a helper, a perfect complement. And he intended for that relationship to be honored and to be treated with the highest of regard. There are a few ways that we honor marriage just by looking at these. And this is sort of not in my my sermon notes. If you want to remember these, if you want to write these down, uh, either one is great. Or neither, but preferably remember it, you know. Honor marriage by understanding it as a commitment between a man and a woman. Honor marriage by understanding it as a commitment between a man and a woman. This is what Matthew 19, 4 says. But it is, it is found much more than just in that in the Bible. This marriage is a complementarian relationship. Meaning that they, the husband and wife, are different. But they complement each other in behavior and necessary function. 
They are different. They have different personality traits. They have different behaviors, but they complement each other. But they also have different body parts that fit. The Lord told Adam and Eve after he created them, it's another command, another foundational command. What did he say after he created them? He said, be fruitful and multiply. The second command after he, after he confirmed their marriage was to be fruitful and multiply. And regardless of what people will ridiculously claim, men do not menstruate and they cannot bear children. And women just happen to do both. Men and women's traits and behaviors, but also their body parts and reproductive systems are made to complement each other so that they may fulfill the second command in being fruitful and multiplying. It cannot naturally happen between a man and a man, and it cannot naturally happen between a woman and a woman. So we honor marriage when we keep it as a God instituted, as the way God instituted at the beginning. We honor marriage by understanding that it is a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman. There is no escape clause in marriage. There is no, well, I don't love him anymore, or I'm not attracted to her anymore. Or, or we don't have anything in common any longer. It doesn't matter. You made a commitment. You made a commitment between you and God. It is a commitment that you are going to stick to when any of those aforementioned things are true. Or even all of those aforementioned things are true. Now there are some nuances to that. And we can get into that maybe at Missional Community Group. But that's not what this sermon is about. Try to get a mortgage, though, with the same mentality that you have in your marriage sometimes and see how that will work for you. Well, I'm just not into this house as much as I was when I first bought it. Or it's a little run down now. Your house is run down because you didn't take care of it. It doesn't make me feel as good as I did on, on my wedding day. In essence, nothing has changed about the house but our feelings towards the house. So you tell the mortgage company that and you just walk away and there's no repercussions, right? See how that works for you. And yet, we foreclose on our spouses all the time. We just walk away and think that there is no Repercussions for that. Malachi 2, 13 through 16 says this. It's not up here, but I'm going to read it for you, and you kind of listen to the words. And this second thing you do, this is the Lord, this is what we do that causes the groaning of the Lord. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer rewards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So God Guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her says to the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his, uh, 
covers his garment, excuse me, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Malachi says, do not be faithless to the wife of your youth. She is your one wife. You dishonor God when you do. He created this marriage for godly offspring. Do not be faithless. We could go on and on. There are so many verses in all of Scripture that we don't honestly have time to cover today. If you want to know more, you can just use Google and use ESV or your favorite Bible translation and bring all of those verses to Missional Community Gathering because I'm sure we'll be really happy to hear those things. We just don't have time today for all of those. But the truth of the matter is this. Jesus says that divorce is Listen, and this is gonna, this, there's going to there's gonna be some things today where you're going to cringe. There's going to be some things today where you're going to be unhappy with me, but it's okay. I love you, okay? I'm still going to speak the truth. Jesus says that divorce is never okay. There's never a circumstance where, where divorce is not a sin. But, he says in Matthew, Moses permitted divorce to appease the people. To appease the people. Then Jesus says that if a person divorces and gets remarried except for the case of adultery, he commits adultery himself. When we place value on marriage, we can help preclude some of these opportunities for adultery. But we need to value marriage as an institution between one man and one woman forever. One reason we have gotten so far from the truth of the importance of marriage is because of pansy pastors and leaders who tremble when it comes time to preach and teach the hard truths. It's just not the way I am, friends. I would rather you hate me if it means that the truth has been revealed to you because if you repent, the Lord will be praised. And if you don't, the Lord will be praised. I obviously know that there's nuance to all of this, and and we can talk about that a little bit more at a different time. You can be forgiven if you have experienced divorce. You can be forgiven. It is not the end of your life. You can move on with your life. You can be a lay leader in a church. You can be happy. You can repent and believe the gospel and trust the gospel just like anybody else. You You can be happy. You can find joy. But you also need to know that when it comes, excuse me, when it comes to preaching the word, if I am in fact preaching it gently, it makes it <coughs> it matters more that I speak truth than make friends. So this brings up our topic today and the third way that we honor marriage. We honor marriage by not committing adultery. We honor marriage by not committing adultery. It, it seems pretty simple, right? Do not commit adultery. You've made this commitment with your spouse. You're expected by God to keep it. And when you break it, when you seek companionship, With anyone else, you are breaking this command. But remember, there is a little nuance to this. If you hadn't been here before, there's a a rule called the rule of categories. What that means is that the Ten Commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments commands, controls, contains one command. But it also covers a plethora of commands. So each command, there is a direct context, adultery, for ours today. But also it covers several lots of different aspects of, uh, and ways and nuances to the ways we can break this seventh command. It states that each of the Ten Commandments covers one thing, but also a lot of things. By the way, if I do this today, it's because I started in my outline this way, and I might not have gotten all of them. But if I, if I say the sixth command today, just understand that that's not what I mean. I mean the seventh command. 
Um, so it might, it might happen. So I've got two main points today that I want to look at, um, and, then I, and then we'll sort of break those down. The first is this, how we break the seventh command. How we break the seventh command. You need to remember before I start them, I, I'm not saying these things to make you feel guilty if you've committed these and repented. This is more to help someone out now or in the future. Uh, I'm not saying these to make you feel badly um, because there is forgiveness. There is forgiveness at the cross of Christ if you repent and believe the gospel. But these are ways that I believe we break the seventh command. I believe in, in the rule of categories and the way the Bible speaks. The first is this, premarital sex. Premarital sex. I'm going to get real on the first one with you. Um, now, I need you to hear me say this, and it will likely burst many of your bubbles, but the Lord expects abstinence before marriage. That's his expectation. The Lord expects abstinence. Uh, he doesn't expect safe sex. He doesn't, ex- uh, he doesn't expect oral sex. He expects abstinence. He expects that, uh, ex- he hopes and commands uh, that you would keep your relationship as pure as you possibly can before you are actually committed to each other in, uh, in marriage. Now, this is quite difficult. It's quite difficult. Um, I had difficulty with this before I was married. I failed at this before I was married. Um, but this is also the reason that people va- bash uh, virgins and, and they try to get others to lose their purity. Because it's so difficult, other people want them other people want people in the same boat as they are in. If you will just look over the past week, uh, uh, an athlete named Tim Tebow got engaged. Tim Tebow's 29. He's a professing virgin at 29 years old. Um, I always punish myself on accident or unintentionally just for a few moments by looking at it, comments on Facebook or comments on Twitter. And if you looked at any of those things under the announcement of his engagement, they were mostly, vastly vile. And, and, and just, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand where, how someone's mind goes where they go. I mean, I do. I get it. Fallen nature, all of that stuff. But regardless of what the Lord expects, I mean, the world expects, and the world expects you to have sex, and the world expects you to have sex with a lot of people. But regardless of what the, what the world expects, the Lord ex- expects purity, You need to know that the Lord expects purity for two reasons. The first is this. Sexual acts are emotional behaviors that often skew rational thinking. Premarital sex is an emotional behavior that often skews rational thinking. There are real consequences to this emotional act. One of the consequences, and I experienced this in my own life, is you're in relationships longer than you should have been, well past the expiration date, because of this emotional attachment to someone. Whereas you've been told clearly by the Lord, you've been told clearly by logic and reason that you need to run away, that you need to start over, you can't because you are emotionally tied to this person. Another reason why this emotional act can skew rational thinking is that it causes emotional strife down the road in other relationships. I've also have to, I've had to deal with this in the early stages of my marriage. Have to deal with past sexual sins and past, um, uh, past sins of the body that cause emotional strife in my marriage at the beginning of my marriage. Not being able to let go. Feelings in the past that are undealt with. Or that must be dealt with. Or another reason that it skews rational thinking is because 
There are people now, more than ever, who are attempting to have children before they get married. They're attempting to have children before they get married. With the, with the sense that we may live together, we may be together, we may get married, but they're attempting to have children before they get married. And I will tell you, they're, some of the best people in the world are stepfathers and stepmothers. Some of the best uh, marriages and lives in the world are with stepfathers and stepmothers, but that was not the way God intended it to be. God, was, God intended for you to be committed 100% to the person that you were going to marry in order that when you had children, you two raised your children together. It's not a perfect world. We live in a fallen world. Things don't always work out like that. We understand. There is forgiveness to be found. But the intended way for God was to not let sex be a factor in, the, um, in deciding who you were going to spend the rest of your life with, who you were going to marry and commit to. Another reason why, premar- why premarital sex um, is, is a problem is because sexual acts irrevocably marry us to our past, present, and future partners. You may not agree with me on this, but I don't care. You're wrong. I know this. I've experienced this. Sexual acts irrevocably marry us to our past, present, and future partners. The Bible says in Genesis, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. This is in the full sense. Do you know what cleaving means? He says it. He explains it right after. The two will become one flesh. Cleaving means that you consummate this relationship by sexual intercourse. And what you are doing when you are having sexual intercourse with a person who is not your spouse is you are consummating a marriage in a sense. You are leaving a piece of yourself with that person. You are marrying yourself to that person. Now, 20 years from now, it only may be in distant thoughts and emotions. But it may be in greater things. I've seen it happen before where there was a relationship in the past, a marriage to a different person, the marriage goes south after some time, and then even sometimes the marriage goes south because of that past relationship. That person steps back into their lives and causes some sort of trouble or some sort of distances, distance between the spouse There are two things that make a marriage a marriage. You know what they are? The covenant between a man and woman to God and the consummation of the marriage. When we commit to having premarital sex, we are doing one of the two. We are on a level consummating that marriage, becoming one flesh with that person that we have sex with. I also hate to burst your bubble, but premarital sex includes all of the other things that you convinced yourself weren't sex. Just so you can know this, if you're young in here or if you're, you know, if you have some like golden calf that you were holding on to your virginity, you're not. Doesn't matter now, you're forgiven. If you're married, it's fine, it's over. But, but all the other things that you've convinced yourself are not sex because they weren't intercourse, they are. Ultimately, virginity is about purity and not about the individual acts themselves. Virginity is about purity. It's about honoring God by chastening your life to Him until He gives you the person that you're supposed to be with for the rest of your life. For Christians, premarital sex undermines your current relationships and even possibly your future relationships. And another way we break the seventh command is by viewing pornography, illicit material, and by lusting. 
Another way we break the seventh command. Porn and other illicit material is sin and is forbidden under all circumstances. It's sin and it's even forbidden if it's consensual between you and your wife or if it's being used to put a spark back in your marriage. I don't think porn or illicit material is ever an acceptable use in a godly household. Obviously, the reason being is that porn causes you to lust after another person that isn't your spouse, which is obviously and absolutely and objectively adultery. Matthew 5, 27 through 28, you've heard that it is said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Proverbs 6, 20 through 29, ask a question that I think every man, woman, and child should ask themselves in every temptation with sin. And I'll get to it in a second. I'm going to read this, and I think you might see it pop up uh, when I get to it. My son, keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always and tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can he walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Friends, in every form of temptation in your life, you can ask yourselves, can I hold fire to my chest and not be burned? Men and friends, women, especially women in our society. You read, rom- you read illicit romance novels. You watch Fifty Shades of Grey or all the, uh, whatever, all the sequels to that, and you think it's okay. Women and men, pornography is adultery because it stirs up lust for another person in our hearts. It causes us to emotionally seek after someone other than our spouse. It is adultery, absolutely and objectively. But more than that, you need to hear this, and this is just as important. The pornography industry preys on the weakest of people. It preys on desperate people, often keeping them stocked full of drugs and alcohol so that they can't, so that they're numbed to what they're doing, working under extreme circumstances. It is degrading to humans participating, even if they do not see it or admit it. And often it is complicit to human trafficking. It also creates unfair expectations in the marriage bed, often causing men to think of their spouse, uh, to sp- think of a way their spouse should look or certain things that they should uh, do in the marriage bed, devaluing the precious gift that God has given you. There is not a circumstance where pornography and illicit material is okay. And for me, what I have to do in my life is I have to eliminate even movies that have nudity in them. It's better that I don't even put the coals near my chest. You understand? It's better that I don't even put the coals near my chest. Now, if you have some blo- you know, blocking thing and you can watch those without watching those things, I'm not saying you have to eliminate the movie just because it has it in it or whatever, but I am saying, friends, that you shouldn't even play with fire because you're always, always going to get burnt. Premarital sex, viewing pornography, they both break 
the seventh command. It's going to get weird just for a second. I'm sorry. I have to say it. Self-gratification. Self-gratification breaks the seventh command. I think I said sixth a minute ago. I told you it was going to happen. Self-gratification breaks the seventh command. I'm not going to go into too much detail about this, um, but, because, but there is a time when I think self-gratification is okay. You need to hear this. I read this from a book a long time ago, and this helped me tremendously during a partner's illness, uh, uh, inability, or other times where sex is not an option, or even if it's a part of enriching your love life together. Those times it's acceptable. But any other time when it's not a mutually agreed upon thing, it is unacceptable. Because what it does is it removes your partner from the love equation. It removes your partner from the love equation and by default breaks the seventh commandment. When we partake in this, we are undermining the relationship by keeping secrets, by not addressing problems in the bedroom, and detaching emotionally. Some studies even suggest, okay, this is not fake. Some studies even suggest that you get an emotional attachment to the thing that you are viewing as you are committing that act. This is a God-ordained thing meant to be beautiful. You are meant to look into the eyes of your wife or your husband and to be drawn into them when you're committing a sexual act. But when you commit it by yourself and you're looking at something else, you're drawn to that thing. Some have even suggested if you're looking at a hat, it can even go that far. In most cases, but not all, self-gratification is breaking the seventh command of God. Having multiple partners, even if consensual, is breaking the seventh command of God. Now, I know some of you are looking at me and like, well, this doesn't seem necessary. But I think you're taking a naive standpoint on what Christians think and what the average person in the world thinks if you think this is not necessary. Some of the greatest men in the Bible, men after God's own heart, could not keep this command. And boy, did they break it. Solomon, David, Abraham, men that God used as sort of beacons and stalwarts throughout, stalwart throughout the Bible broke this command regularly. But the truth is, and this is important, polygamy or polyamory, which is the, if I'm saying that correctly, sorry if I'm not, multiple, that's having multiple consensual partners, it disappeared in Israel by the time of Christ. And it was condemned and it was not condoned by Jesus. And even so, creation, from creation, it was God's plan for one man to leave his father with one woman and to cleave to each other to love each other and anything else was a commission of the seventh was a commission of the committing the sin of the seventh commandment another way we break the seventh commandment there's a lot of, there's a lot of information here so if you're not used to long sermons I'm sorry but it's very this is all vastly important another way we break the seventh commandment these are not all seen in physical ways but also emotionally is emotional attachments to the opposite gender Emotional attachments to the opposite gender. I believe that from the context of all that we know, that having deep emotional attachments to a person of the opposite sex that is not your spouse is a form of adultery. Now, I'm not saying generic friendships. I'm not saying that it's not okay to be friends with the opposite gender. But I am saying this. You should not go to a person of another gender and lean on them primarily, uh, a person of another gender, for deep advice and deep counsel. 
At times, uh, as a pastor, I have to do this. I counsel ladies, and I, I counsel men, and I've counseled them separately, but I won't do it in a private setting. And often, I won't do it without my wife. You know, it's more likely to do it over the phone, but the, the goal of every pastor and every man uh, or every woman should be to steer somebody who needs counsel to someone who is of their same sex. For me personally, this would extend to a professional realm. Unless that professional session, psychologist, psychiatrist, different things like that, is with my wife. I'm not saying it needs to be a hard and fast rule, but this is a safeguard for my family. One author said this about emotional adultery. Emotional adultery can occur when one person other than their husband or uh, one, excuse me, one person other than their husband or wife, excuse me, I've skipped the whole line. Here we go. Let's try again. Emotional adultery can occur when one person shares their personal thoughts, feelings, and emotions, there it is, with another person other than their husband and wife. This can be deceiving because a person can think they aren't being unfaithful as long as they don't touch the other person. However, emotional adultery is crossing the line into sin just as physical adultery does and can cause extremely serious problems in your relationship with your spouse and lead into physical adultery if not stopped. Here's some examples. Discussing marriage problems and challenges with a person of opposite gender who is not your spouse. Discussing sex life in the same context. Placing yourself in intimate situations with a person of the opposite gender with whom you have chemistry or an unspoken attraction. Emotional attachment to another person is a form of emotional adultery that can often lead to physical adultery. And so, it's not something we can always avoid, but it's something that if we are counseling or if we are a part of, we should be working to push to someone of the same gender. Of course, this may seem small, but my question is, can a person hold fire to their chest and not be burnt? Another emotional thing that is breaking the seventh commandment is emotional detachment from our spouse. Emotional detachment from our spouse. This is one that we often see in the Christian realm. An emotional detachment of some sorts by limiting or not pursuing your spouse on an emotional level. You stop dating. You stop talking. You stop making alone time or time for sex. This is also giving yourself to other things like sports and video games and movies and work and friends or a plethora of other distractions. Giving yourself to those things more strongly than they than the effort that you give to your marriage and to emotionally fulfilling your spouse. Emotional detachment is adultery and can derail a marriage. It is a self-absorbed act that often only considers personal needs and wants and (coughs) not the needs and wants of your mate. In these relationships, sex becomes a task or something that you have to do as opposed to something that you are drawn to do because of the work you've put into your marriage. Emotional detachment is a spiritual problem, and it should be remedied before more detachment is allowed in. Friends, life is difficult. Trusting in the Lord until you find a spouse is difficult, and loving and being committed to that spouse is difficult. But anything less is a transgression of the law of God and is a regression into the work that the Lord is trying to do in renewing creation. There may be commands on par with the seventh command, but we are never a greater, greater gospel light to those around us than when we are keeping the seventh command. We're not only being an example, but we are doing our best to restore the created order, how things were before the fall 
of mankind. Now, I know that many of you are going to roll your eyes when I say this, but I want to give you one more point and just a small little section on how we can be a faithful spouse. That's the second point. Steps we take toward being a faithful spouse. If you thought the awkwardness was over, it's not quite yet. A faithful spouse commits to and practices abstinence before marriage. A faithful spouse commits to and practices abstinence before marriage. If you, want, if you don't want to sit here and write all these long points because they're long, uh, I can email them to you. I actually have them in a little bifold thing, uh, and I forgot to print them out. Uh, so um, I know that this is prudish, you know, and it's anti the culture. It's anti what everybody's doing, but it is biblical, As Christians, we do not only damage our current relationships, but we can likely damage future relationships for moments of gratification. Friends, you don't need to test drive people. You don't need to test drive people. What you need to do is you need to trust in the sovereign Lord of the universe who has put every relationship, every successful relationship, he is the hitch of the world. Okay, you've seen the movie, right? He is the date doctor. Every successful relationship, you're welcome, Morgan. Every successful relationship that has ever been has been put together by God himself. And every relationship that was broken was broken because two people decided to abandon their commitment to the relationship that God put together. Or at least one person. faithful spouse commits to before they get married. If it's important to you to have a faithful and fruitful marriage, you will commit right now as a young unmarried person. Even if you've been married before, if your spouse has died, you would commit you would, you should commit right now to being a person who is abstinent until and if God brings you someone to marry into your life. Another another way we become a faithful spouse. A faithful spouse commits regularly to dating. Listen, a faithful spouse commits regularly to dating and wooing their spouse after marriage. This cannot be stressed enough. Things change over time, but most marriages that end end because partners move away from what they did to get married in the first place. They stop dating They let their children always take precedence over their spouse, and they stop pursuing their spouse. My solution? Don't stop dating. Schedule regular times out. If you say, well, I don't have money for babysitters, or I don't have money to go out, bull! I'm calling bull, and I can't say the other word, and I certainly can't say the other one because my father's in here right now. I'm calling bull. Stop spending money on foolish things so that you can pay for a babysitter once a month or more and go to a decent dinner or, heck, a not-so-decent dinner, but go out with your spouse and spend time with them. And then after that, go to Lowe's and walk around Lowe's and think of all the things that you're never going to do to your house but you would want to do to your house. Or go to Walmart and buy some groceries. Spend time with your spouse talking to them. I tell you, one of the biggest difficulties in my marriage into dating my wife is the fact that we both like the same TV shows. That's difficult. I'm telling you, it's a, it's a bad thing. 
It's a bad thing because we like to watch the same things. And so it's easier to turn on Parks and Rec for the third time, for the third time, or The Office for the third or fourth time than it is to say, you know what? Let's go out tonight. Let's go get some dinner. You know, let's take the kids to Bosey and Pockies. I'm sure they'll be okay with it. Or honestly, all of you have volunteered, so any of you that don't, aren't are already overwhelmed with children, um, and, and let's, t- let's take the children over there and let's do it. Or, or let's sit in and be in our comfortable clothes and watch Parks and Rec together. Do something. They're, friends, communities, neighborhoods, towns want you so bad, they do free stuff all the time. All the time. They want you there. They want to be the best. I mean, they want to be Eagleton, if you've ever watched Parks and Rec. They want to be the best town. So they, they're going to give you free stuff all the time. S- never stop. And if you have, start pursuing those things that got you married in the first place. All of it. Dating. Flirting. Flowers. Kind acts. If not flowers, you know, my wife said, flowers die, you know, don't give me, yeah, everyone believes that. Don't give me flowers, everyone believes that, sure, sure, don't give me flowers. No, flowers, you know, the things that you did to cause you, listen, do the, th- you never, you never went out on a date unshowered before you were married. You never went out on a date unshowered before you were married. You never went out on a date unshowered in the early part of your marriage. You always put deodorant on. You always had your hair done. You always had cologne or perfume on. Why did you stop? Is your wife not more valuable now? Is your husband not more valuable now when they were when they were a kid and didn't know anything? Why did you stop? Why did you stop grooming yourself? If you have a nice beard, I'm not talking about you. Why'd you stop grooming yourself? Why'd you stop taking care of yourself? We need to continue to, continue to pursue and woo our spouses after marriage. Here's another one. A faithful spouse commits to staying clean and healthy in mind and body. This covers a few points. We should stay clean in mind. We've already talked about abstaining from pornography and other material that gives us an improper image of love. We should not read romance novels that are too uh, illicit or watch movies that are sexually explicit. We should keep our mind away from other things that take our mind off of our spouse. And here's a problem that you're going to have. We live in a culture that can't take any objective advice. So you're going to tell me I'm fat shaming when I'm telling you this, okay? But you need to hear this. We need to keep our bodies healthy as a means of keeping our marriage vibrant. We should shower and we should groom We should be desirable to our spouse. We should not let ourselves go. I know in a PC world you're going to get mad at me, but I don't really care. We still have to woo our spouses by doing everything that we can to slow down the aging process. No, I I don't look like what I did when Anna first married me. I'm much more attractive. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't look like I did when Anna first married me. I have gained a few pounds, but it ha- mainly because of what I eat. I'll say metabolism, uh, but mainly because of what I eat. But I have tried all throughout my marriage to be more healthy and to eat better and to, and to exercise. So we should exercise. We should eat semi-healthy 
Exercise together. Hey, that is a route for sparking your marriage again. We should do everything that we can uh, not to gain massive amounts of weight. We should do everything that we can to be physically desirable to our spouse. You saw the pictures. Many of you saw the pictures of my wife yesterday on Facebook. Hot E is not even close to the words for it. Although her personality and, and her general disposition, it's something that I love, it isn't what first drew me to her. You know what first drew me to her? She's hot. <laughs> She's beautiful. I'm not kidding. I'm not saying this because my wife is in here. You know I would say this if she weren't in here. She's beautiful. And any of you dorks who say, well, it should be about personality. It should be about personality. But do you see their personality most in, often, you know, in, in most cases? No, you don't see their personality first. The first thing you see is that they're beautiful. And then you see that they're beautiful on the inside. And you're like, there it is. Winner. Friends, we should do all that we can. Now, there will be seasons. We, Anna and I have been talking about this recently. She, you know, she said, she's like said at one point recently, she said, it's, it's, sorry, it's, it's hard for me to, okay, this is going to be TMI maybe, but it's hard for me to feel sexy with poop and throw up all over me. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's the truth. And that's the truth. It is hard. There will be seasons. There will be seasons. But what I'm talking about is a consistent and persistent movement towards remaining attractive for your spouse. Physical attraction does not end at, mar- at, at the point of marriage. It does not end at engagement. It pursues and goes throughout life. And, and as we grow in the Lord, obviously, we're going to love the person that God has put in front of us. It's not so much about what the husband tells the wife to do or but what the wife tells the husband to do. It's about loving who we have, loving the person we have, while each of us puts in a concerted effort, not 50-50, that's dumb too, not 50-50, 100%, 100%. Each of us puts in 100% effort. And the truth of the matter is, women, you will hear this from every feminist group, that you, on, you should only give back what you get, and it's just not true. Women, you should give 100% if you never get it back. Men, you don't hear this as much because that, you know, there's not many meninists. But, but, but men, you should give 100%. You should give 100% even if you don't get back. A faithful spouse, a faithful spouse. Hold on, Thomas, not your time to preach. A faithful spouse continues, continues to keep their body clean and healthy. Just a few more things, I promise. A faithful spouse commits to regular and emotionally attached sex with their spouse. A faithful spouse commits to regular and emotionally attached sex with their spouse. Regular and emotionally attached sex is commanded, and it's not a suggestion. We are commanded in 1 Corinthians 7 to not withhold yourself from your spouse because your body is not yours and their body is not theirs, but you have given yourselves to each other, and ultimately you both belong to God, and God has commanded that you keep up these acts. Not just for the sake of, of you know, just, well, you know, this is a thing we should do in marriage. As a matter of fact, it was the, it was the Puritans, it was the, Refor- and not just the Puritans, but the Reformation that caused marriage to be fun again. They were the Donald Trump of marriage, okay? Make marriage fun again, okay? 
Before the, Pur- before the Reformation, uh, in, in a long history of the Catholic Church, it was believed that sex was only for procreation. And the Reformation came and said, no, we're going we're gonna to follow the Bible. And the Bible says, commit your bodies to each other regularly. As a matter of fact, friends, as this is going to be the weirdest thing you might hear today. As you have sex, you are worshiping the Lord if you're doing it in the right context. You are worshiping the Lord. So it tells you if you're doing it in the wrong context what you are worshiping. We should be emotionally and physically attached through regular sexual intercourse in our life. It should be fun, it should be new, and it should be consistent. Now a suggestion that I would make to you is this, that almost anything goes in the marriage bed. Almost anything goes. As long as it doesn't break the law of God, as long as it, I'm only giggling because as long as it doesn't break any actual laws, almost anything goes within the marriage bed. As long as it's biblical, as long as it's lawful. Here's another one that you might get mad at me on, and I promise these last two are going to be, are these last 18 or so are going to be super fast. A faithful spouse commits to dressing modestly. A faithful spouse commits to dressing modestly. Again, I'm sure you're going to have some disagreement because you're going to say, this is my body. Don't tell me how to dress. But there are two commands for dressing in the Bible. Don't dress extravagantly and dress modestly. Those are the two main commands for how you dress in the Bible. Don't dress extravagantly and don't dress modest. I mean, dress modestly. You may say, well, my body is my body. You can't tell me how to dress, which is correct if you aren't a Christian. But if you are a Christian, you are in Christ, and your body is his, and it is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and instead of dressing it like a prostitute, you should dress it like the temple that it is. That goes for men and women. That goes for men and women. Men, you shouldn't dress. I mean, I don't know that many men that wear Daisy Dukes, but you shouldn't dress in ways that accentuates, that accentuates certain parts of your body. When we don't dress modestly, we attract ungodly attention from people. We attract the wrong kind of attention from people that are not our spouse, and we are complicit in causing other people to stumble. No matter what the world says to you, your body is not yours. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you should dress it in such a way. A faithful spouse commits to loving and treating their spouse better than their children. Uh Uh-oh. A faithful spouse commits to loving and treating their spouse better than their children. Friends, it's the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. It's the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life because my children, when I come home, my wife does this to me. Hey, how are you? When I come home, my cakey comes around the corner and says, Daddy! And Ellie comes, Daddy! And gives me a big hug. And Bennett comes and punches me somewhere that hurts really bad normally. And he wants to wrestle. And so all of my kids greet me like I'm a superhero. And my wife smiles. And she hugs me. And she kisses me. And she, and she greets me. But, but it's very difficult for me to not want to automatically give my attention and my energy and my time to the people that want to give it to me the most, that energy and time and attention. But friends, you are doing yourself and your marriage a, a dis, uh, an injustice, a uh, disservice, that was the word I was looking for, when you treat your children, when you give preferential treatment to your children more than you do your spouse. As a matter of fact, I break my kids' hearts all the time. I tell Ellie all the time, and she gets it now. She didn't get it when she was younger. I say, Ellie, I love you so much. You know how much I love you? And it's something like this. Bennett's like this. I don't, 
I don't know what he, why he does that, but you know how much I love you? And, 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 then, and then I say, but guess what? I love mommy more. Daddy, that's mean. No, it's not mean. Mommy is my wife. She's the same as me. And, and then guess what? I get to, I get to tear, share the gospel with my kids by being mean to them about how much I love them. A faithful spouse commits to loving and treating their spouse better than their children. A faithful spouse abstains from relationships that might derail their marriage. We already talked about this. Uh, this is friendships or working relationships or whatever it may be that might derail your marriage, putting your energy and time into someone else. That's why most adultery happens. People get into the workforce. They work alongside someone. They solve problems together. They are victorious. And then they go home. They go home and they have to clean poop. Or they go home and they have to clean the house. Or they go home and they have to fight with their children until bedtime. There's no victory in those things, friends. If, if you have children, you know this. There's no victory in those things. And so you get this high with someone else at this uh, emotionally, uh, reality-wise attached place, work, and then you come home and you have to get back to reality, and, and, it, and it hits you. This is why most adultery happens. You need to be careful with the relationships that you have in your, your life. A faithful spouse, listen, a faithful spouse reads the Bible and reads books and articles and other material about marriage that is written by godly people. And in some cases, people who are not Christians. But other books and articles, podcasts, other material that is written by godly people. Never stop pursuing your marriage. And the last is this. A faithful spouse trusts in the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you have Christ in you, you are ready to face anything in your marriage. If you have Christ in you, he knows and can give you the, the ability to forgive. He knows and can give you the ability to deal with quirks and nuances. Like when someone leaves the cap of the toothpaste open and lets, you know, it's just the flip. All you have to do is flip it back. All you have to do is flip it back. And then let's crust form around the top of the toothpaste. So you can't, so you can't, amen, right? So you can't get good, clean toothpaste. You got little toothpaste mints as you're, as you're, as you're, as you're brushing your teeth. So, so, so the Lord will even help you get over those things through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord will help you with your anger. He will help you with your lust. He will help you with your desire for other people in a non-biblical way. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that marriage ever succeeds. It's not through your own power, through your own might, through your own wisdom and bright ideas. It's not through your own uh, um, books you read about bedroom play or anything like that. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He lives in us. And he works in us greater than, uh, with the same power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead. But you must repent. You must believe the gospel. You must trust in him and then follow him in salvation. If you do that, there is literally nothing that you cannot do, nothing that you cannot overcome, nothing that you cannot conquer in your own marriage or for that matter, anything in this life. So you have to do this. You have to consider a few things when it concerns adultery. Can I hold fire close to my chest and not get burnt? What am I trusting in to make sure that this marriage lasts until I die? What am I trusting in? Who am I trusting in to make sure this marriage lasts until I die? Am I trusting in myself? Am I trusting in my own power? Am I trusting in the power of the Lord? Let me pray with you. Lord, you are good and you are true and you are wise. You are honorable. You are noble. You give us all that we need for life and godliness. 
You have given us the Word of God, which is your primary way of speaking to your people. And Lord, I believe through your Word you've done just that today. God, I pray that you would bless us by your word, that you would uh, help us to, Lord, follow you in a more true and vibrant way, that we with passion would pursue our wives, with passion uh, women would pursue their husbands, with passion as a single person we would pursue you until you give us a wife or a husband, and we would give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. We wouldn't hold virginity as a badge of honor, but we would hold purity as uh, something we do for the cause of Christ that we would hold purity and sanctity in our marriage as something we do for the cause of Christ. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we honor you, we give you this day. It is in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.